me, uh, just give me a countdown and then I'll start. Well, good morning, good afternoon or good evening, and thank you for joining us once again for our Sunday worship service. Of course, due to the ongoing public health precautions mandated by our provincial government in response to the coronavirus pandemic, church still looks a little bit different today. You're still at home, and I'm still here preaching to an empty church. However, I've had a number of different people uh, respond to last Sunday's message from wherever they were and mention that they enjoyed having the opportunity to do church together as a family on the couch, some of them in their pajamas with a cup of coffee in their hands. And so if you don't already uh, have the refill on your cup of coffee, now is a perfect opportunity to hit that pause button, go grab a refill, and if you don't have your Bible with you yet, please go grab that as well as we dive into God's word together today. I'll also just quickly mention here that another one of the regular elements of our Sunday worship service that we are missing is giving you the opportunity to give through the offering. And so we want to provide you with just two simple ways that you can still give your regular tithe or offering. The first is you can just simply put it in the mail. So you can uh, put check or cash in an envelope, address it to the Clarny Mennonite Church, P.O. Box 969, Clarny, Manitoba, R0K1G0, and just mail that away, and that'll get to us that way. The second way you can do it is you can drop it off here at the church in person during regular office hours, Tuesday to Friday from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., and there will be an offering box located in the foyer, Uh, for you to put your offering there. Now, as I said last week, remember that just because we're not physically gathered here at 66 Bay Avenue, that does not mean we cease to be the church. It's not the building, but the people who make up the body of Christ. And so remember that though we're separated physically, and that is a challenge, I believe it also presents us with a tremendous opportunity. Because as we were reminded last week, A scared world needs a fearless church. And that means that wherever we're scattered to, we have the tremendous opportunity to demonstrate the difference that Jesus makes in our lives by showing our hope, our peace, our confidence that we have in him to those who are shaking and scared and worried all around us. And so remember that though we're flying through turbulent times, As children of God, we are not shaken because our daddy is the pilot. God is still at the controls, and so we can trust him no matter what lies ahead. So now take those Bibles, and let's turn together to our scripture passages for this morning. Our first is taken from Matthew chapter 16, and there I'll read the first four verses. Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 to 4. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, When evening comes, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, Today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given except the sign of Jonah. Then turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 
and verses 1 to 17. Verse 1. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie, and so that... All will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. But we always ought to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved you and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. So far the reading of God's word. Would you bow with me and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in all times, it guides our path, it is the light to our way, it gives us hope and encouragement, and it also gives us warning of, of things yet to come that we must be prepared for. And so, Father, this morning, as I open this, your word, I pray that you would speak through it by the power of your Holy Spirit, that wherever this is broadcast, whoever hears it, Lord, give us open hearts to receive, give us minds to understand, and I pray, O oh Lord, that you would do your work in and through each one of us today. So bless this word. Speak through me, your servant, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now the title of this sermon in part four of our series, Understanding the Present Time, I've entitled part four, Setting the Stage for the Final Act of History. Now in Matthew chapter 16, verses one to four, we read one of the many occasions where the Pharisees and Sadducees came together to test Jesus. And this time, they asked him for a miraculous sign from heaven. Now, in reply, Jesus starts talking about the weather. Maybe sounds a little bit like a Manitoban there. Hey, the weather. That's how we always start conversations. But he's going somewhere while he's talking about the weather. And in the middle of verse 3, he says to them, You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Now, the signs of the times that Jesus was referring to 
was the signs referring to himself. And that was all of the many miraculous signs that he had already given them, proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah of Israel. In fact, in the previous passage of Matthew 15, verses uh, 29 through 39, Jesus had just healed a great crowd of people of all of the various ailments that were brought to him. And then he capped it off by miraculously feeding the whole crowd of 4,000 men plus women and children from only seven loaves of bread and a few small fish. It's likely that even some of these same Pharisees standing in front of him asking for a sign from heaven had themselves been in the crowd that day and had eaten their fill. And yet, here they are, asking for yet another sign. And so Jesus is saying to them that though you might be great at interpreting the sky for the 24-hour weather forecast, you are completely clueless when it comes to interpreting the spiritual signs of the times, even though they're literally right in front of your eyes. And so just as it was true way back then, that the Pharisees and the vast majority of the people missed the signs of Jesus' first coming. So it will be true that the vast majority of people will miss the signs of Jesus' second coming into the world. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, Peter writes, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The philosopher Kierkegaard tells a parable of a theater where a variety show is proceeding. And each show is more fantastic than the last. And, and the audience is just in the height of enjoyment. And they're applauding each successive act. But suddenly, the manager bursts onto the stage. He apologizes profusely for the interruption, but he urgently states that the theater is on fire. He quickly instructs the patrons, here's your nearest exits, please leave immediately. But the audience, however, they think this is the most amusing sketch of the evening, and they begin to cheer thunderously. While the manager again implores and begins to beg them to leave the burning building before it's too late. And this time he is applauded with a standing ovation. And at last, realizing that he can do nothing more to persuade them to leave, the manager himself runs for the stage exit. Continued cheers and shouts of bravo accompany him as he leaves. But then suddenly, from the back, the cheers are turned to screams as the fire raced through the theater, taking it and the fun-loving audience along with it. And so concluded Kierkegaard, will our age, I sometimes think, go down in fiery destruction to the applause of a crowded house of cheering spectators. It is a sobering thing to consider that on that great and fearful day of the Lord that Peter spoke of, that would come like a thief and then the heavens would pass away with a roar, how many people on that day will say, I just never saw it coming? And yet to those who have ears to hear and eyes to see, the signs of the times are all around us. 
And as we've been learning in the previous three parts of this sermon series, Understanding the Present Time, Jesus gave his disciples a multitude of signs that would precipitate his return. He listed things like an abundance of deceptive teachers and leaders, wars and rumors of wars, famines and earthquakes, chaos and pestilence. And we've covered how pestilence is a blanket term that covers all manner of plagues and uh, epidemics, including diseases, much like the coronavirus. And so Jesus said as well that wickedness would increase and that the love of most would grow cold and that all of these many signs would be like birth pains, increasing in frequency and intensity until his final return. And so while these birth pains themselves can be frightening, for a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to remember Romans 13 verse 11, which says, And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And so as we come to understand the present time, and as we learn to interpret the signs of the times, that should first cause us to wake up. Wake up and take our relationship with the Lord Jesus seriously. Don't just fool around, say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but not really do anything beyond that. Invest in your relationship with the Lord. He wants to walk closely with you. Let's take him seriously. Let's wake up. Secondly, as we wake up and realize that his return is drawing close, that the day of our salvation is nearer than when we first believed, it should then cause us to look up with anticipation, and to live in that anticipation that Jesus' return is drawing closer and closer. The day that we will see his face is steadily drawing near. And so the good news for the believer is always, 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 in all ages since he left, the good news is that he is coming back again. As he promised his disciples that if I go, I will come again. And I'll take you to be with me so that where I am, there you will be also. That is the great and living hope of every believer in every age, and ours is no exception. We just happen to be closer than any of the believers who have come before us. And so that is always the good news, my friends. But the scripture also points out that there's some bad news. And that is that the troubles of this world, those birth pains, are only going to get worse before it gets better. And so this, in this study today, we are going to take a closer look at what some of those troubles are. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but our world is a very different place today from where it was just three short weeks ago. I don't know if you've noticed, but things have changed just a wee bit. For example, uh, just this past Friday... My wife, Leanne, had the great idea of helping uh, my boys with their cabin fever setting in. You know how spring break gets a little tedious. And so she had this great idea of sending my two boys outside for some fresh air and a good old-fashioned scavenger hunt. And so the prize at the end of the scavenger hunt would be that they could get their favorite treat in the world. And their favorite treat in the world is an ice-cold slushy served up at the local co-op. And so needless to say, the boys were equal parts excited and then devastated 
When they finally went to get their slushies and they saw the completely empty slushy machines. Every last one had been emptied out and of course there was a sign stating that these two had been removed due to health precautions regarding the spread of the coronavirus. Now if there's one thing that we Manitobans are united in our love for, it is our love for slushies. And Leanne had told me that the boys had come home almost in tears. Oh, it's, it's heartbreaking. And I think some of you fellow slushy lovers out there today will share in their pain. But of course, having no more slushies available is just the tip of the iceberg. And yes, the pun was intended. Because of course, due to the coronavirus pandemic and the, and the measures taken to try to curtail the spread of it and flatten the curve, almost overnight we've gone from living our lives as usual, you know, business as usual, we've gone almost overnight to canceling, shutting down and quarantining nearly every sector of society, right down to no more slushies. And the inevitable result is that while the economy has ground to a halt, the stock markets have crashed, businesses are closed, people are getting laid off en masse, uh, many businesses are on the financial brink, and, and this is leading to a whole host of fears and uncertainties and other societal issues which will take many more weeks and months to see the full scope of as the ripple effects of this just continue onward. And here's the real kicker, as we look at what's going on in the world around us today. This is global. This is not just one country or region. This is not even just one continent being affected. This is every country, every region, and every continent on earth. Almost every single one of the nearly 8 billion people living on planet Earth today are being directly affected by this in some way, and it's not over yet. And so now, as we, as we just try to process this, the million-dollar question that I keep asking, that I think everyone keeps asking, is what does this all mean? What does this all mean? Well, after much reading, reflection, biblical study, and prayer, here is one of the things that I've become convinced of. This current global crisis is being used as one more step forward in setting the stage for the final act of world history. It's one more step in setting the stage for the final act of world history. Because, of course, the Christian worldview we understand that we're not fighting against war and, or pardon me, warring against flesh and blood, but we are fighting a spiritual battle against invisible unseen forces. And of course, Satan is at the head of that. He is the top of the hierarchy. And so he and his dark forces of evil, they will never let a good crisis go to waste. And so wherever there is panic and fear, Satan will insidiously seek to seize the opportunity to act and to use his influence to move his agenda forward. And even though God has, of course, foretold and guaranteed his destruction, Satan is not going to go down without a fight to the very bitter end. And so he will use every deceptive mean to leverage this current crisis in such a way as to move his agenda forward. And the Bible tells us that 
a big part of Satan's final agenda for the last act of history will feature the introduction of the Antichrist onto the world stage. He is also referred to in scripture as the man of lawlessness and as the beast. Now in the passage that we read earlier, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I'd invite you to turn there with me if you don't still have it open in front of you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And here in verses 1 to 3, Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica to clarify their confusion that they may have somehow missed Jesus' return and, and, and they're, they're perplexed and confused about all of this. And so Paul uses the opportunity to explain to them that no, you haven't in fact, and here's some of the things that are going to happen before his return so that you can use these as markers along the path to, to put your fears at ease. You haven't missed the Lord's return. And so then in verse 4, he uses one of those markers as being the the revealing of the man of lawlessness. And in verse 4, he writes of the man of lawlessness. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. And so the Antichrist will not only be against everything that Christ stands for, but he will actually seek to take his place by shifting the world's worship from God onto himself, going so far in the audacity to claim to be God. Verses 6 and 7 tell us that God is currently holding him back and restraining him until the appointed time. Now, Satan may want to push his agenda all he wants, but until God says, okay, he is still at God's timing. Satan can't do anything that God will not allow. And then jumping ahead to verses 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul continues, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. And so here we see that the Antichrist will be empowered, directed by Satan himself, with seemingly miraculous power and the ability to persuasively deceive everyone and bring them under his influence and control. And he will appear to both the political class and to the masses to be a savior, to be someone who has the capability to solve all of the world's many problems. And he will consolidate the entire world's governments and systems under his one rule. And so as we look around the world today and we see things that three weeks ago were almost unimaginable, and we think, well, what would it take to bring the world under one system, under one man's rule? And we see that every continent, people are confined to their homes, and and if you go out in gatherings of five or ten people or more, the police will actually arrest you, and, and, and we see this system of control in place right now. So how much harder is it to imagine this being formalized under one man, one government? It's not, you don't have to squint very hard right now to see how this is beginning to take shape, and I believe right now the world is even being conditioned to live under these types of of conditions. And so he will consolidate the world's governments. Everyone will bow to him. 
And, and now we shift to Revelation 13, verse 8, the other huge resource, learning about the end times and the Antichrist. And there the Apostle John tells us from his revelation, Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, all the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. Remember, the beast is the other name, one of the names of the Antichrist. All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life. So here we see that everyone will worship the Antichrist except those whose names have been written in the book of life. Now, who's that talking about? Well, of course, the book of life is referring to the Lamb's book of life, where the names of all followers of Jesus Christ are written. Written there because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ, the shed blood upon the cross, and for no other reason than faith being exercised that he has paid the debt of my sin in full, and so I am saved. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And here John says that everyone will be deceived. Everyone will worship the beast except those whose names have been written in the book of life. And so we see that it is only by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit within the believer that will enable anyone to be able to resist the massive deception and persuasive ability of the Antichrist. And so for the follower of Christ like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego of old, who refused to bow down to the false idol and so were cast into the fiery furnace, so too the Antichrist will be angered by those who refuse to worship him. And he will seek to ruthlessly seek and destroy all Christians who refuse to bow down. Revelation 13 verse 7 states, He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. But thankfully, even in this, like the trio of old, Jesus' presence will also be with all those believers in that time. And he will be with them through the fire, and he will give each the courage to not renounce his precious name, but to stand firm to whatever end. For as Jesus promised, and lo, I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. And what a precious, precious promise that is. So now returning to the Antichrist, it's revealed that he will also have a partner in crime. And this partner is best known as the false prophet. Likely it to be the head of some sort of his cult of religion worshipping the beast. And he is referred to in Revelation chapter 13 verse 11 as the second beast. Now let's read what the second beast does in Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 to 17. Revelation 13, 16 and 17. Now I want you to pay especially close attention to this passage. We read, He also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Now the first thing that we can infer from this text is talking about a monetary system, a, a means of exchange for commerce, and that if you do not have the mark of the beast, you cannot do business in this new global marketplace. And so what we can infer from this is that there will be an elimination of hard currency into a completely cashless society. Now, even today, how hard is it for you to imagine a world that only uses a digital currency? 
How hard is that to imagine? Well, you may have already noticed that there have been many articles circulating recently wondering if the spread of the coronavirus uh, could potentially be happening by the exchanging of cash. And one such article by smallcaps.com has this big, bold headline. Coronavirus could speed up introduction of a cashless society. The article then goes on to state, a global cashless society already seemed inevitable as a result of the widespread and increasing use of tap-and-go payment channels and digital transactions. But due to the COVID-19 outbreak, This way of life could be introduced a lot sooner with many vendors now refusing to accept cash payments. I want you to notice that the article states that a global cashless society already seemed inevitable. And so the fears of spreading the coronavirus by exchanging cash is only accelerating a process that had already begun, phasing out hard currency and cash globally. It's happening right before our very eyes. Yet again, the stage is being set. Now, the second thing that we can infer from this text is that this mark of the beast is also technological. It was three or four years ago that at one youth group Bible study, I I began the study by just throwing out this supposition. And I said to them, Suppose a new technology was invented whereby a tiny microchip could be painlessly inserted into the the soft tissue of your hand that meant you would never again have to carry a wallet or cash ever again because all of your banking information would be on it, your driver's license would be on it, your social insurance number would be on it, even your passport would be on it, and it's an implant that only you can use and it can never be lost and it can never be stolen. I then asked the question, who of you would sign up to get that? And almost every single one shot their hand up and said, that would be cool. And other such youth statements as, that sounds sweet, awesome, what a great idea. And well, without any more preamble, I then proceeded to read Revelation 13 verses 6 and 7 to them. And suddenly their eyes began to get big. And you know what? I think... I I honestly think that's how easy it will be for the vast majority of the global population to receive the mark of the beast. They won't need to have it forced upon them. They will willingly line up down the street and around the corner like we see people do for the new Apple products. They will line up to get it, excited to receive this newest piece of technology. Now, does that kind of technology sound far-fetched to you? Well, many of you likely know that the technology already exists for pets, where you can get your vet to, in just a matter of a few minutes, insert into your pet an electronic microchip, no larger than a grain of rice, and this microchip allows you to identify and track your pet via your smartphone. And now, of course, pets are only the first phase. Right now, it's become public knowledge that this new technology is being developed by Microsoft in partnership with other groups for use in people. It's called ID2020. ID2020. And you can even go to their website, id2020.org. And there on the front page, it glowingly states, 
We need to get digital ID right. Identity is vital for political, economic, and social opportunity. But systems of identification are archaic, insecure, lack adequate privacy protection, and for over a billion people, inaccessible. Digital identity is being defined now, and we need to get it right. Now, I want you to notice their descriptions that the old systems of ID are archaic. That old passport of yours, that driver's license, that's archaic. It's insecure. It lacks privacy protection, and they're thereby inferring that their new system is going to solve all of those problems. And that getting it right means going along with them. Apparently, it's even been so far as discussed to couple the ID2020 microchip together with the eventual coronavirus vaccine. Now, of course, they would deny that, that any of this would be mandatory. It'll all be, you know, by people's choice. And so I want to be very clear about something. I, I don't think that ID2020 is the mark of the beast. I don't think that. But I am quite convinced that the technology that is being developed with ID2020 is the precursor to it. For it takes more faith to believe that it's just mere coincidence that the detailed description in Revelation 13 of a mark on the hand or forehead without which no one could buy or sell anything that so perfectly matches technology being developed right now today takes more faith to believe that that's just mere coincidence than that this is actually the truth. You see, my friends, this is no longer just some obscure prophecy from some old book. This isn't just science fiction. This is reality. This is our world. And the stage is being set for the final act of history. And as hard as it may be to believe or to even try to wrap our heads around, the very thing that this old book prophesied 2,000 years ago, they are beginning to play out right in front of our very eyes. And of this prophecy, scholar and pastor Mark Hitchcock says, The fact that the words of Revelation 13 were penned in the age of wood, stones, and swords makes this prophecy one of the powerful proofs of the inspired nature and reliability of God's word that one could have ever imagined. Who could have predicted a one-world economic system that controls all commerce but God? Indeed, who but God could give us such specific details nearly 2,000 years in advance where technologies like this couldn't have even been imagined? You know what? This should do nothing but increase our faith in God, faith in his word, faith that he is completely in control. None of this is taking God by surprise, and he's told us in advance so that we wouldn't be taken by surprise either, but instead we'd be prepared, and it would increase our faith as we see, you know what, these troubling things are happening, but God told us ahead of time that these would happen, and it's all precipitating his glorious return. And so now I realize that we've just gone over some some really heavy scripture. And it can be a little bit scary. I won't deny that. But embedded throughout all of this bad news, my friends, is the very, very good news. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul writes, The lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor 
of his coming. So in case you missed it, the, the fantastic news is that Jesus is coming back. If all of these other things are true, then that single essential truth must be as well. Jesus is coming back, and when he comes, the Antichrist won't stand a chance. It won't even be a close fight. It says Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and the splendor of his coming. Just the glow of his majesty will send all of the forces of Satan running scared. They won't be able to stand before him. That, my friends, is the very good news that though the Antichrist, he will have his very short time in the spotlight. He will be overthrown by Jesus. And it's that age-old story replayed yet again that though Satan and all the forces of evil think that they can stand against God, that they can take his place, that they can overthrow him, in reality, they don't stand a chance. Their ultimate destruction at the coming of the Lord Jesus has been foretold and is guaranteed. You can take it to the bank. You see, throughout Scripture, we see again and again, Satan sets up his agenda, sets up his plan, and yet God, who is far above, far wiser, far more powerful, is always ten steps ahead. And he will prevail in the end. And all who stand with him will have that victory in him. And so, though this last act of history will be fearsome, God did not give us all of this information in order to scare us, but in order to prepare us. And the first and most vital of all of these preparations is to place your personal faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. That is the most vital preparation that you can or ever will make in your entire existence is to place your personal faith in Jesus Christ. To forgive your sins and to invite him to come into your life as your personal Savior and Lord. So let me ask you, are you prepared to meet Jesus face to face? Because ready or not, that day is coming. And so don't be like those people in the theater who just laughed off the warnings as a joke. Don't be caught with the crowd who thinks that, you know what, I can put off the decision. I have plenty of time. Don't be in that crowd that's deceived because they are not in Christ and they don't have their names written in the Lamb's book of life. Let me invite you to put your faith in Jesus Christ right now, wherever you are. You can do that this very moment. You know, he loves you so much. It's so strong that it compelled him to go to the cross a cruel instrument of torture, not for anything he had done wrong, but for what you had done wrong and what I had done wrong. You see, we have sinned against God. And Jesus is willing to pay the full penalty of the debt of that sin and to take it on himself by dying on that cross in your place and mine, dying the death that we deserved so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be invited 
into adoption to the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Heavenly Father, as full-fledged children of the King. That's how much he loves you, my friends. And he invites us. It's free and open right now today. It's a gift of grace. I invite you to receive it. That is the most vital preparation you will ever make. And the second preparation is this. If you are already a follower of Jesus Christ, then you need to be prepared to stand firm. In 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 15, Paul concludes his teaching on the man of lawlessness with this exhortation. He writes, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. And so there it is. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, in recognizing the signs of the times, it's not the time to be overcome by fear or worry of what may be, but to instead be prepared and stand firm and hold firm to God's word. There's a true account told that during World War I, a British commander was preparing to lead his soldiers back to battle on the front lines. And they'd been away on furlough, and it was a cold, rainy, muddy day. Their shoulders sagged because they knew what lay ahead of them. Mud, blood, and possible death. Nobody talked. Nobody sang. Morale was low. It was a very heavy time. And as they marched along, their faces set towards those front lines, the commander looked into a bombed-out church along the way. And back in the church, he saw the figure of Christ on the cross, still standing at the altar. And, and in that moment, something happened to the commander. And he remembered the one who had suffered, died, and rose again. And there was victory. There was triumph. And as the troops marched along, having awoken the spirit within him, he shouted out to his soldiers the order, Eyes right, march! And as they marched by the old bombed-out church, every eye turned to the right. And as the soldiers marched by one by one, they too saw Christ on the cross. And something happened to that company of men. Suddenly, they saw the triumph that came after the suffering. And they took courage. And with shoulders straightened, they began to smile as they went. And the songs began to come as their spirits were lifted. For in remembering Christ's courageous suffering for them on the cross, they regained the ability to face the trials of the future with boldness, with confidence. And so too, my friends, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you can face the trials of the future and look ahead to the final act of history with confidence and with boldness because we know that our lives and our souls are safe and secure in Jesus Christ. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And one day, the trumpet will sound, and he is coming back for us, and we will be with him forever. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we anticipate that day. But we recognize that in our flesh, we fear the trouble before But Lord Jesus, we thank you that victory is assured and that as we look forward to your return, would the joy of your coming, would that anticipation of looking up and seeing you return for your bride, would that fill us with such joy that whatever trials come before, that we would be able to stand firm, 
knowing that you have already paid the ultimate price for us on the cross. We are forgiven, we are redeemed, and because of you, our souls are saved for all of eternity, and we will live with you. And so, Father, I pray that this would become so real in our hearts that no matter what comes, we will stand firm. And Lord, I just pray for the extra grace for those who have heard this message today who are not yet in a position where they have placed faith in you as Lord and Savior. Oh Lord, I pray for them. Holy Spirit, would you just stir their hearts to know that this message is true. It is not from me, a mere man. It comes straight from the lips of God. It is for them. You can be trusted. Your word is true and you love them. I pray, O Lord, would you turn their hearts to you even right now in this moment. Bless them to that end, Lord. Continue to work in and through us, your people, in these times. For your glory, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.